Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. How many of you grow a garden? Anybody grow a garden? Okay, a couple of you here and there. This is the time of year when, if you do grow a garden, this is the time of year when you literally can see the fruit of your labor, right? Corn and tomatoes and cucumbers and watermelon and whatever else you might grow in your garden. Well, it's summertime. It's a time when people's gardens are growing and producing. Well, you know, as followers of Jesus, we're called to produce fruit in our lives. So how are you growing? I am not a gardening expert, but it seems to me that the people who get the most from the garden are people that know the most about the garden, who learn the most in the garden. Those are the people that tend to get the most from the garden. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we're kicking off a brand new summer series entitled Growing in the Garden. Over the next six weeks or so, Pastor Clay is going to take us to passages in the Bible that involve a garden to see what lessons we can learn to help us produce more fruit in our lives as followers of Jesus. And we're kicking off this series by going to perhaps the most famous garden in all of history, the Garden of Eden. Man had a purpose. The Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. The first lesson that I want us to learn today is that God created man with a purpose. In Genesis chapter 2, we're going to find some important truths that can help us grow as a follower of Jesus Christ and produce the fruit that honors God. Now, here's Pastor Clay to kick off this brand new series, Growing in the Garden. Yesterday, Cindy and I went out to the farmer's market. And we've not done that many times uh, that we lived here, but yesterday we went out to the farmer's market. And we had a, we had a com- pretty much a completely free Saturday. Nobody was moving. Uh, on, so, yeah, yeah. Those of you who have been in on the moving over the last... A lot of people have moved around this summer, so we've tried to help them with that. But anyway, so we went out to the farmer's market, and, you know, it's, it's really... It's, it's a cool thing to walk down through the aisles and just see just all of the... All of the produce, right? All the fruit, all the vegetables, all that kind of stuff. Y'all ever been to a farmer's market? You know what I'm saying? And it's like super big deal out there. We had lunch out there while we were, and all that kind of stuff. But, but it's just cool to see all the different uh, vegetables and stuff. I don't know how many of you are uh, gardeners or grow a, a garden. But... Uh, seeing all those vegetables, uh, seeing all that, got thinking. Uh, you know, I, I've been thinking about gardens, obviously, uh, in the summertime. Summertime is the time when those of you that do raise, and how many, do any of you, I mean, I know it's getting to be, I know Miss Linda back there grows a garden. She's always brought us stuff, but how, how many of you grow a garden? Anybody grow a garden? Okay, a couple of you here and there. Hey, and a garden, listen, it could just be one single tomato plant sitting in your window. As far as I'm concerned, that's a far bigger garden than I have, so... But um, this is the time of year when, if you do grow a garden, this is the time of year when you literally uh, can see the fruit of your labor, right? Corn and tomatoes and cucumbers and watermelon and whatever else you might grow in your garden. This is the time of the year when you see it. And so, you know, thinking about that and thinking about uh, growth, and that's what I've been thinking about our own lives and the growth that should take place in our lives as a follower of Jesus Christ. Say that again. The growth, the spiritual growth that should take place 
in our lives, the spiritual fruit that should be produced in our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. Hence, I decided to come up with a summer series kind of based on gardens. I am not, by any stretch of the imagination, a gardening expert. I'm a produce-consuming expert, but I am not a gardening expert. But it seems to me, this seems logical to me, it seems to me that the people who, who get the most from the garden are people that know the most about the garden, who learn the most in the garden. Those are the people that tend to get the most from the garden. And so, over about the next six weeks, we're going to do this series that I'm calling Growing in the Garden. It's a summer series, uh, obviously playing off of the fact that gardens are, are in full production, full bloom, all that kind of stuff. And we're going to be looking at various passages in the Bible that involve a garden or some type of garden slash vineyard type of thing and looking at some spiritual truths. Y'all with me? I'm just making all kinds of... Looking at spiritual truths that we can harvest, get it? Harvest, harvest from those passages of Scripture that we then can can uh, grow spiritually as a result of them and become more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, the thing that we're always talking about here at Cross Culture Church. So that's what we're going to do about the next six weeks or so. We're going to be looking at some of the various uh, biblical passages dealing with gardens and looking to see what truths. And let me say this, each individual garden, there's no, not necessarily a, a connection to the, each individual garden will have its own fruit, so to speak, to glean, each particular passage that we deal with. Okay? Y'all with me? We're going to start today in probably what is the most famous garden in all of human history, the Garden of Eden. If you have your Bibles with you, would you open them, please, this morning to Genesis chapter 2. Now, uh, like I said, Kale will be preaching next week, but the following week I'll be back in Genesis, this time in Genesis 3, but we're going to spend a couple weeks in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to start this morning. We're going to be uh, reading, let's see, where am I starting? I think in verse 8, thank you, and uh, going through verse 25 or something like that. It's at the end of the, yeah, through the end of the chapter. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. I know it's a little bit long, but but it kind of sets the stage just to to hear it. And then we're going to break it down and look at some of the produce from Genesis chapter 2. Y'all with me? Okay. I so appreciate y'all. I do. I really appreciate you. I love what I get to do. I love what I get to do. I'll, I'll talk about that work and that sort of stuff. But I, I love what I get to do. And I, I love that I get to invest in people's lives. I love that I get to study the Word of God and, and see what it says to me and reveals to me how I make application, hopefully, for my own life. And then can communicate that to you all because I, I want you to get it. I want you to understand all that God has for you and experience in the midst of a life that is not easy all the time. Right? Troubles, turmoils, medical conditions, all this kinds of stuff that are part of a sin-cursed world. Christians are not immune. We don't get a get-out-of, well, we do get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Uh, But we don't don't get to just skate through life without any trouble. The cross is our get-out-of-jail-free card, isn't it? The Lord planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And there he placed the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. 
the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden. From there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. I've always thought that was a strange text, because I've never seen gold that wasn't good, but there must be some gold that's gooder than others. <laughs> the gold of that land is good. The bdellium and the onyx stone are there. The name of the second river is the Gehan. It flows around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. And then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. And then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was, not a, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Here's some, here's some ideas to glean from that passage, Genesis chapter 2, verses 8 through 25. Here's the first one we're going to start. We're going to start with an overarching thing. In the garden we grow in our understanding that. All these are coming under that. In the garden we grow in our understanding that God created man with a purpose. God created man with a purpose. Now, uh, we are not necessarily looking at all of the text that deals with the creation account here, but I, want to, I just want to state this. I just, uh, just want to go on record if, in case you don't know this uh, about me, but the, I believe that the account in Genesis of, of God's creation is exactly as it took place exactly as it is written. I, I do not believe that this is some sort of allegorical story intended to give us some, some good ideas or some good truths that we can apply to our lives. I believe that, that this is a record in Genesis 1 and in Genesis uh, 2. This is a record of exactly how God uh, created this little piece of terracotta that we call home and the universe. You know, uh, it, it's interesting, the, the Bible doesn't claim to be a science book. But did you know that every place that, where the Bible touches on science, it does so without violating a single known law of science? That is an amazing, one could almost say miraculous claim that no other ancient book, no other book of antiquity can, can make that statement. 
violates no known law of science. It's not a science book. But, and, and listen, if you know me, you know that, that the area of apologetics that deals with the evolutionary model versus the creation model, that's, that's one of my favorite subjects uh, to discuss. But that's not what this lesson is about today. Even though there's something about creation, that's not what this lesson is about. The, the first lesson that I want us to learn today is that God created man with a purpose. That we are created for this purpose. In verse uh, 15, to read it to you uh, again, in verse 15 it said, Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. Man had a purpose. Man wasn't, wasn't a, 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 an accident. Man wasn't a just willy-nilly or God was bored. Or uh, God created man with a purpose. The word uh, Genesis, some of you may uh, know this, but the word Genesis means beginning or beginnings and I believe here in this record you have the the account of the beginning of God's uh, work with mankind and part of that meant that God created man for a purpose it says that uh, in in that area where God placed that to the east of that area that God placed a garden he, he cultivated or put in a garden for the man then to take to keep or to cultivate that garden. The word uh, Eden, uh, by the way, means uh, land of delight. Now, we do not have enough of a description in here to, to pinpoint a precise location of where the garden was. Uh, we, we, we don't. There's not enough information, especially given the fact that two of the rivers mentioned in the description, the, the Gahan and the Pishan, have both uh, obviously uh, dried up uh, and or due to geographical changes from because of the flood, because of just natural disasters or erosion or whatever the case may be. But because of all those things, there's no way to precisely identify the location of the, the garden where it was when God originally started this thing. But there is enough information to say with certainty that the uh, that the garden was somewhere in the area of what we would refer to as ancient Mesopotamia. It would be uh, uh, that th- this area that's that's known as the Fertile Crescent. You can see it; it, it makes kind of this this crescent shape that swings down uh, into the lower and the upper Nile, and it comes across all of Mesopotamia. You can see the Tigris and Euphrates rivers there, the Pishon, the Gahan. Uh, don't exist anymore, or, mur- or we just don't know what happened to them. But we know, we can say with absolute certainty that somewhere in that area known as the Fertile Crescent uh, in ancient Mesopotamia, based on where Tigris and Euphrates rivers currently are, we know that the Garden of Eden existed somewhere in there. But the point is that it existed and that God created it because he desired for man to have a purpose. Now, part of that purpose was, and I would say this, a material physical purpose you were created with a material physical purpose verse 15 as i read just a moment ago god placed the man in the garden what and what did it say to cultivate and to keep it god gave adam the assignment the purpose materially physically of of performing work in the garden now depending on what you think of your work 
your first response might be, work (laughs) in paradise? But yes, yes. Adam had the purpose of cultivating and keeping. He did it for the pleasure that it brought to him. He did it for the purpose that it brought to his life, the enjoyment that came from it. Prior to the fall, Adam did not have to work the, the ground to, to receive the produce from it. It, it, was, it was hanging all around him. He had all he wanted, all he needed. He didn't have to work in order to produce. It was purely for his pleasure, purely for, for the purpose that he found in, 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 in doing that. And that says something to you and me about about the importance of purpose for our lives. The need to know that there's purpose. I can't begin to tell you how important that is. There are more people in this world than you would realize who, who have absolutely no idea that their life has meaning and purpose to it. No no clue. Perhaps a few people sometimes in some moment of, of uh, quietness, maybe they can reflect and begin to ponder, man, what am I here for? Is there some purpose or meaning for my life? But I can tell you the truth, most people are just going through life, just, just going through life, going through the motions, uh, without any realization that the creator of the universe created them for a specific purpose. And part of that purpose even is in, is in physical, material uh, Labor, work, the idea to do that. I, I came across uh, an article, in, a 2016 article in the Huffington Post. And I, Travis, bring it up here. Um, it, the, t- the article was entitled, Early Retirement May Be the Kiss of Death. Uh, and it, it cited a, a long-term uh, Oregon State University, I think it's like a 20-year study, where they found uh, that the longer people work, on average, the longer they live. Now... <laughs> I'm not saying that retirement is bad. If you're here and you're retired, I'm not saying that retirement is bad, but I am saying that purpose is good. That that regardless of whether I'm retired from my you know vocation or, or whatever the case is, that having purpose to my life is important, and 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 the need to to be active and to be to be doing something, and, and of course beyond that, and, and I would say even above that, above our physical, material purpose would be our spiritual purpose. You and I have a spiritual purpose. And that spiritual purpose, of course, is to, to know God. To know God. God created us for the privilege, think about that, of knowing Him. Now, for the record, God didn't need us. God didn't need to create us. God didn't have a, a need for companionship with us or anything like that. Scripture is very clear uh, about that with God. But you and I need to have a relationship with God. It, it's, it's, part, it's, it's in us, folks. I'm telling you, a person can reject it. A person can say, I don't even believe in God. That's nonsense. But I'm telling you, no, nobody, nobody is born an atheist. I can tell you that. People may make intellectual decisions based on, in my opinion, false information. But the point is, the fact is, God created us for a spiritual purpose and that purpose is to know him to walk in relationship with him and then what adam did he walked with god in the cool of the day in the garden whatever all that may mean but it 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 points out this this intimate close relationship that god desires for you and i to have with him blaise pascal was the 17th century mathematician and philosopher and defender of christianity blaise pascal is credited with with a, this famous saying. Pa- Pascal is, is attributed to the fact that he said, there's a God-sized hole in every man's heart. That's, that's the quote that's attributed to him. That's actually kind of a paraphrase of what 
he actually said. What Pascal actually said was this. What else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim but that there, once, well, there, that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace, just a shadow of, of perhaps of what once was. This, he, meaning man, tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss, what Pascal calls this infinite abyss, can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. Ladies and gentlemen, that is, that is what we are created for, this relationship with him. Now, uh, Pascal said it very eloquently. The Rolling Stones said it much more succinctly, although not as eloquently, when they said, I can't get no satisfaction. Y'all know? Yeah, okay. I know we're too spiritual to act like we know that song. But no one would ever accuse Mick Jagger of being, being a theologian, but he got that exactly right. There is no satisfaction in this world. There is entertainment. There is escapism. There is experience. There is materialism. There is position. There are personalities. There is power. There's all these things. But there is no ultimate satisfaction in this world without a relationship with God because God created you that way. God made you that way. And he longs for you to experience that in your life so that you can have the fulfillment that he created you for. I would say to you that if you're here and you're wondering what your life is about or whether your life has any meaning or purpose, I can say to you on the authority of God's word that God absolutely has a purpose for your life. You may sometimes wonder what it is or think, not sure what's going on or all that kind of stuff, but I can absolutely tell you that God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Sometimes people will say to me, I just, wish God would, would, I just wish God would show me what he wants me to do. I wish God would tell me what he wants me to do. I, I would be the first to say that the way God speaks and moves and all this is a very mysterious thing. I would be the first to admit that. But I would also say this, that, that God reveals to us to the degree that we've already submitted to what he's already revealed to us. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, in, in the areas in, in his word or, or the, the, that you, you've learned, areas that he... Ha, has expectations for your life or what he wants for your life, there really shouldn't be any expectation that God would speak to further clarify your purpose if we haven't already submitted to him in, in the areas that he has revealed to us. Do you understand? And if you're here without a relationship with Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you that the very first purpose he has for you is to come into a relationship with him, to, to acknowledge that he is God and that he sent his son to pay the sin debt that you could never pay yourself so that you could have a relationship with him, so that you could have spiritual purpose in your life. Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5 says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Now, in context, sure, that's addressed specifically to Jeremiah, this young man who God was calling out to a, to a ministry, quite honestly, that was not going to be very pleasant. But it was the purposes and plans that God had uh, for him specifically. So yes, in its context, that's written to Jeremiah. But there would be no reason to believe that that would not apply to you and me as well as far as God's purposes and plans for us. Not, certainly not the same uh, as Jeremiah's, but the fact that God would have purposes and plans for our lives. I would say to you today, if you're wondering, if you struggle, if, you, if you're not sure, God has material, physical purposes for your life, and he'll reveal those to us as we're surrendered to him more and more, and he has spiritual purpose for your life, and that starts, that begins, obviously, with a relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay.
In the garden, we grow in our understanding that God's commandments are for man's good. We ha- God created us for purpose, and in the garden, we, we, we come to the understanding that God's commandments are for our good. Now, watch what happens here in verse uh, 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you will surely die. In the garden, in this garden, in the Garden of Eden, we learn that God's commandments for us are for our good. Now, Adam, as I said a moment ago, he, he apparently has a, a plethora of, of trees to, to eat from, uh, different kinds, different fruits, whatever. What all they were, I don't know. I, I think I can, it, it wouldn't be outrageous to think that, that some of them or many of them were similar to fruits that we have today, maybe the same, maybe similar in some way. But, but I was thinking about it, I was thinking, how much, how much crisper the apple? You know what I'm saying? How much, how much juicier the peach? How much, how much sweeter uh, the banana? If you eat it while it's still green. How, how, much, how much better must that have been before the fall? And, and Adam can have, can have all of that. He consumes all of that. And yet God says to him, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, don't eat of it. Even in that, even that negative prohibition is for our good, right? Because God had already said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely what? Die. Now, it's a whole other thing we get into why that is. But in the day you eat it, you shall surely die. So Adam, hey, don't eat of that. Don't you think that's, that's pretty good advice? If, if, if there's a bottle of, I don't know, Christy, just, just like quinine, quinine, what are some poisons? They come like in pills? If there's a bottle of pills in front of you, and I, I would say, hey, don't take those. <laughs> that would be good for me to say that, right? If I knew it was poison. You understand what I'm saying to you? That God's purposes, uh, God's plans, and God's commandments are ultimately for our good. When, he's, when he instructs us on something, there's a purpose. God is not a, a God that just does stuff just to be doing stuff. He does stuff for, for intention. And when God says a certain something, it, it's for a reason. When I was in high, my senior year in high school, our, our class was getting ready to take a senior class trip. How many of y'all went on y'all senior class trip? Did y'all senior class do a trip? Okay, a couple of us. <laughs> a couple of y'all like, you know, I really don't want to talk about that, that trip, right? Senior class trip, right? Senior class trip. Well, our senior class trip was a cruise to the Bahamas. That's where our class is going. Now, when you grow up in Florida, that's just, that's just how it is. You just, your senior class trip is on a cruise to the Bahamas. My parents commanded me not to go because grew up in a small town doesn't take long for word to get around they knew that the cruise was quite honestly was going to be nothing but a drunk fest and whatever else i was so mad at them like i I can't believe they won't let me go i cannot believe they will not let me do that they are so mean They, they, they 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 just why would they do that to me i am so glad that my parents gave me that command i'm so glad today that my parents gave me that command. Even though I didn't understand it then, even though I sure didn't like it then, now I can understand that their purposes were for my good. They were trying to protect me. They were trying to protect me. By the way, kids, students, anybody in here, when your parents do that, can I just get a plug-in for your parents? That's why they do it. I, I was so mad, and yet now I realize what I did, couldn't realize then was that, that they actually had my good in mind. They wanted what was best for me. And so they said, no, don't do this. 
You know, some people, y'all have heard this. Maybe somebody said it to you. Some people want, tend to want to say, Christianity, church, all that, it, it, it's a bunch of do's and don'ts. You know, they're absolutely right. They're absolutely right. Now, obviously, Christianity, God's word, is a lot more than do's and don'ts. But yes, the Bible is full of do's and don'ts. Would somebody please explain to me why that is a bad thing? Isn't that what any loving, concerned, protective parent will do? How many of you grew up with parents that said, do brush your teeth? How many of you grew up with with parents who said, don't touch the hot stove? How many of you grew up with parents that said, do your homework? Don't play out in the highway. Bunch of do's and don'ts. Right? I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure that's a reflection of the compassion and love and concern that they have for you, for us. That's, isn't that why they, they do it? Sure, that's exactly why they do it. For that very reason, because they compare. Imagine, imagine the parent that said, kids, man, I, 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 just, I just love you. I don't want, and so I certainly don't want to put any restraints. I don't want to put any restrictions on you. So whatever you want to do, you know, do it. If it feels good, do it. What, whatever your thing is, you just try it. Hey, sure, a few of you are probably going to get killed. I, yeah, sure, most of you will probably be maimed and, and scarred psychologically and, and emotionally. But, but the important thing is that, is that nobody uh, told you that you couldn't do it. Something. Nobody gave you any do's and don'ts. <laughs> That's, That's not love. I'm pretty sure it's child abuse. So yeah, so yeah. God says, hey, don't, don't covet other people's stuff. God says, hey, don't, don't chase after the, the trappings and trinkets of this world that are passing away. Hey, do, do treat other people the way you'd want to be treated. Hey, uh, don't, don't have sexual relation with somebody that's not your husband or, or not your wife. Yes, God gives us do's and don'ts, but they're always with the intention of for our good. That's why he does it. Okay, all right, I know, I probably got to move on here. In the garden, we grow in our understanding that God created man with a need for companionship. That's the third one, last one I want to handle today. God created us with a need for companionship. Can you all say the word companionship? I know you can, I just want to see if you're all awake. God created us for a need for companionship. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground, the, so that's, take note of verse 18 statement. Not good for man to be alone. I'll suitable for him. Then out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father's mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Or, if you're from the mountains, naked and were not ashamed. Now, obviously, we'll get to this more in a minute, 
uh, obviously in, in this context. Earlier we learned that God created us for a relationship with Him. That we were created for that. That's, a, that's just that's part of, of who we are. But now He moves on in and He says not only were we created for a relationship with God, we were created for a relationship with others, with others like us, with other human beings. And what's interesting is that as soon as God declares that, he then goes off and begins to create all these animals and then gives Adam the task of naming all of these animals. And that, when you read that, it would almost seem like, like a sidebar. Like, but as I've said before, God doesn't do anything by accident. Everything is with intention. God knew that Adam needed to know that there wasn't another like him. Not another that could have a face-to-face relationship with him. You understand what I'm saying? Adam needed to understand that. And so God gives him the task of naming all the animals. Now, by the way, if you're sitting there, this is a sidebar. If you're sitting there and you're thinking, no way Adam could have named all the animals. That would have taken way too long. Actually, it would not have taken long at all. It would have been a pretty simple task to perform. Because when all the animals were created at that time, there, there had not been all of the, the, the genetic variations and, and uh, genetic changes and sub uh, variations that came as a result of intentional or unintentional cross breeding. You understand what I'm saying to you? So, so he doesn't have to sit there and, you know, like German Shepherd, Irish Setter, Poodle. He, he, doesn't have, he, just, he just says dog. Now, probably not in English. But he doesn't even have to say coyote, wolf. All of those are subsets of. The, the dog or the, or the canine species. You understand? Same would be true for lion, tiger, tabby, bobcat. You, you know, it's just cat, right? Again, probably not in English. But the point is, it's actually something that wouldn't have taken very long. By the way, that's not evolution. That is variation. That is mutation. That is, that is variation within the species, but that is not one species transitioning into another species. You understand what I'm saying to you? There is none, not a zip evidence in the fossil record or anywhere else for that matter of any species ever transitioning into another completely different species. Adaptation change within a species? Absolutely. The Bible's not doesn't contradict that. Just uh, so I'd throw that in there. But the point is, you and I were created for a relationship. We need each other. Sure, we get on each other's nerves. Sure, we get tired of each other. Sure, we need to be alone sometimes. But we were created with this need for companionship with each other. Now, obviously, in the context here of Genesis 2, uh, we're talking about the, the, the relationship that exists between a man and woman in this, this privilege called marriage, this covenant privilege thing called marriage. Uh, obviously, in that context, we're, we're talking about that. Then this call, this need to be in relationship with, with each other and this intimacy that exists between a man and a woman in, in covenant marriage. Sure, that's, that's where he's going. But, but the need for companionship would apply universally, that we need each other. I should say this, in, in 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul indicates that there, that there is something that we, that we refer to as the gift of singleness. The gift of singleness. That is a gift I did not get. The gift of singleness. The Apostle Paul indicates that there's a gift of singleness. In fact, he, the Apostle Paul uh, indicates that he seems, seems to have no need to have a, a, a physical, intimate, sexual relationship with, with a wife. He, he seemed to have the gift. In fact, in fact, he goes on to say that if you happen to have that gift, 
man, that, that's great because that means that you can invest even more time, even more energy and all that stuff. You can invest it in the kingdom. But he also goes on to say that if you don't have that gift, man, you, you, need, to, you need to marry. You need to have that relationship with somebody that's, that's special and unique. But even the Apostle Paul had close relationships with both men and women. He didn't, didn't feel that need, apparently, for this close intimate. But he had, by the way, if you're married and you're mad at or tired of your spouse, you, you can't now decide you have the gift of singleness. It, I'm sorry, you can't, can't do that. So I throw that out just because, because they're acting like you don't want them to act. You can't, you can't do that. But the point is, is that we have this need for relationship. And, and what I want you to understand is Eve wasn't an afterthought, right? Okay? Eve wasn't, it's not like God's sitting there and he's created Adam. He's looking, he's like, eh, I don't know, there's something, something's not quite right about this picture. I, I, I know, he needs a woman. It's not, it's not how it was. It was always God's intention to create mankind, male and female. It was always his intention for them to have a relationship with him and have a relationship with each other. That was always his intention, okay? And so Adam names all the animals, and he says, and he figures out, man, none of these look like me. None of these are the same as me. I can't have a face-to-face kind of intimate relationship with any of these. So God... Then, see, God's purposeful in what he does. It's not, Eve wasn't an afterthought. God wanted the man to understand how much he needs this relationship with this woman. And so he brings Eve to Adam, and Adam says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. See, he, he's saying, this is, this is different from everything else I've seen. She's different. <laughs> A more uh, technical, but probably... Uh, accurate translation would be something like this this is the very thing that hits the mark this reaches what was desired now i've heard one uh expositor say that a a rough translation would just be adam just said this is it (laughs) this is it see it was this it was this special relationship that now existed between that could exist between the the two of them she wasn't an afterthought. She wasn't uh, a handmaid. She wasn't, she's co-equal with man in the economy of God and all that that means. Not the same. Men and women are very different. No, no amen? Not a single amen? Chickens. <laughs> no, we, we're, we're very different, but we're equal before God, equal in our access to God, equal in our salvation, equal in, in, in his love for us, all of that, that kind of stuff. And we were created for this relationship with him. So, if you are married, man, enjoy this relationship that you have. Let it be an expression of what God intends it to be, a reflection of, of his beauty and his love that two people can share together in a special way. Sure, you're going to have your disagreements, your fights, your arguments, your whatever you want to call it. Sure, you're going to get mad at each other. Sure, you're going to, but through all of it, you're, 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 you're displaying this this unity, this thing that God wants us to have in this relationship. And if you're here and you're single, whether you have the gift of singleness or not, you may be single, but you, you want to be married or intend to be married, and whatever the case may be. But if you are single, find other godly men and women that, that you, can have this, you can have a relationship with, that you can know, not the way you're married, not you know a married person, but that you can have this companionship, this fellowship, this relationship with them. We all need that in our lives. Don't you think? We all need that. 
in our lives. So in Genesis 2, we find out that God created us for a purpose. Material, physical, yes, I, I have a purpose on this earth. And more importantly, spiritually, I have a purpose to, to know God, to walk with Him, to experience Him in my life. We learn that His commandments are always for our good, not for our harm. That's what He says throughout His, his, his Word. Even when we don't understand them, even when we don't even like them, they're ultimately for our good. And we trust Him in that. And that He has created us for companionship with others. To know others, to have this thing that, that is unique as we're created in the image of God. Some of you know this as gardeners, but I do know that sometimes gardeners will use this uh, material known as miracle grow to fertilize and help their, their crops or their flowers or their whatever to grow uh, at a greater rate. My prayer through this, throughout this series will be is that, that we would miraculously grow in our walk with Christ as we discover some of these truths in these gardens and apply them to our lives. If we do, then it will be a, a great harvest this summer. Amen? Well, there's our first summer lesson to help us grow and produce more fruit in keeping with being a child of God. Among the things that we learned today, one was that Adam and you and I were created for purpose. Not only physical purpose, but a spiritual one as well. God created us for a relationship with Him. And as Pastor Clay pointed out in today's message, men and women will try anything and everything to fill the God-sized hole in their heart. But they will never fill it until they come to God. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice reality. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculture.church. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I 
Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.